Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us on this episode of ASHP's podcast on medication safety. It's a podcast series where we will discuss trends in medication safety, regulatory issues, and best practices that, of course, improve patient care. This presentation today is part of the ISMP Best Practice podcast series that's supported by the Medication Safety SAG, our Section Advisory Group, where we will be addressing the different ISMP best practices and give you some tips. So my name is Paul Milligan. I am a system medication safety pharmacist at BJC Healthcare in St. Louis. And in a few moments, I'll be talking with Naomi Barish, who is our expert for the day. So we will be discussing the recently updated ISMP best practice number eight. Number eight is the one that's involving the safe use of IV smart pumps. And we will be discussing how BJC is addressing the updated recommendations. So thank you for joining us today. I'm going to give a little bit of background on the updated ISMP best practice. This was a one that many of you are familiar with. It was first introduced in 2016 and 17 with uh, ISMP. And this year, they updated it to broaden the scope beyond just high alert medications. It used to just be that. And they also raised the goal, which many of you may have noticed, from 90 to 95% guardrail use. They also updated it to an emphasize the interoperability between the infusion pumps and the organization's electronic health record pump interoperability programs, the pump and and charting and all of that, which is a lot of us are able to do now and working through that process. So the rationale behind this best practice is obviously that ISMP receives a lot of harm events that could have been prevented by use of uh, smart pumps. And because IV drugs are dangerous, can be dangerous because of the route of infusion. The other part of the rationale is that smart pumps remember and apply these large number of rules that we have for higher and lower rates and prevent all the possible errors that we that might have or alert us to possible dosing errors. And I think even most important is they apply these rules at the right time, at the right time of administration. It's not a, an alert when a nurse pulls a drug out of a Pixis machine or in the MAR when they're reading the MAR. It's applied right at the time they are about to press start and start infusing an, an IV medication. And that's when these rules are applied. So you would have to have a pharmacist over your shoulder in order to be able to do the same things that these smart pumps do. And then the other rationale was because of the capability that a lot of the pumps will have with the electronic health record to be two-way interoperability, um, that even would eliminate or mitigate one of the final steps in that process, harm steps in that process, which is the manual programming that needs to occur at that time. So you can see this best practice is right in ISMP's wheelhouse with technology that is maturing and mitigating harm on some of our most dangerous drugs. So I'm not going to read all of the best practice to you, but I will give you the main points, the, the main lines. The first aspect of the best practice is for everyone to use programmable, a programmable pump with a dose error reduction strategy. 
that is in place to alert the nurse at the time of the infusions. The second one is to maintain, a, sets a goal for us to maintain a 95% or greater compliance with using the library. If you don't use the library, you're not getting the upper and lower limit alarms. The third one is to make, to use the bolus function if you can, if your hospital allows bolus from the bag or, or loading doses from the initial bag, which is a, a handy um, we'll talk about in a little bit. The fourth one is to make sure that your hospital allows you resources, allocate you resources to maintain and update the drug library. The drug library is not a static document. It's always changing with new drugs and new uses and new doses. So you need to have resources to maintain and update that drug library. You just can't use put it in place and think you've got everything covered. The fifth one was to make sure it's consistent that the nomenclature and the wording is, and the doses are all consistent with, and the concentrations are consistent with your electronic health record so that you can plan for this bi-directional interoperability, which is what they're encouraging. You don't want to give conflicting information from the nurse reading the MAR and then going to the pump and trying to find a drug that's listed by brand name or by generic name or with a different concentration that's not allowed. And lastly, I guess the devil's in the details on this one because it applies to all hospital settings. It's not just your inpatient setting, which is where we use a majority, a lot of the pumps are being used, but it applies to your outpatient infusion clinics, your emergency department, your anesthesia, your MRI areas, and PCAs if you're using different pumps for those. So these are the areas where causing a, a, that do you sometimes may spend as much time trying to get an anesthesia to use these libraries as you would uh, your inpatient settings. So it applies everywhere. So that's the background. That's kind of what the best practice is. And I'm going to move on now to the expert. So I will be chatting with Naomi Barish, who is the co-chair of our BJC, which is we have 15 hospitals, academic, community, big, large, or big, small, and of our smart pump governance team. She's also a clinical specialist pharmacist at Missouri Baptist Medical Center, which is one of our larger community hospitals. So I'm going to get on to asking Naomi our first question, which is, how does a BJC plan on reaching that 95% or greater compliance goal? And how do we monitor that? Thanks, Paul. So I think that driving to improved compliance is really a multifactorial issue. And the two big components that we really think about are content of the data set. And so making sure that our frontline users are confident and comfortable with the data sets and how they function. And the other is ensuring that we have adequate buy-in from our frontline staff to use the data set in the way that it's designed. So the first part, when we talk about content, there are a lot of aspects to this to make sure that everything is updated in a timely and efficient fashion. And we do this by integrating our smart pump governance team into multiple aspects of approval of the medication, a build of the medication, and implementation of that. We use some other methods, which I believe we'll talk about in a few minutes, to really ensure that we have adequate buy-in from our frontline staff and support for continuing to drive that number up. Okay, thank you. So really, it sounds like that type of feedback back and forth helps us build the best quality library hearing from the users, as you said at the beginning. 
So one of the other topics of the best practice was what steps do you are we taking to make sure that the library content is consistent with the drug information in the EMR? So I think that this is a really huge benefit that we've seen with going to a standardized data set across our system, because this allows us to have somebody from our smart pump maintenance team involved in the approval of the drug through PNT, the implementation of the drug through some other teams that we have, as well as to be involved in the build process to ensure that we are both aligned with the build from a time perspective, as well as from that the build in our EHR can be done in the pump and that it's consistent with what's in the pump. So we look at tall man lettering, we look at infuse over times, you know, we'll have those conversations about whether the build is intermittent or whether it's a continuous infusion for some of those that are challenging to decide what that build looks like compared to what the actual programming looks like. And you're connected to the P&T committee as new drugs get added? Yeah. So we have somebody involved in the drug approval process. Okay. Well, let's get into this governance committee since it sounds like once you establish it, you better maintain that library well. And that's an ongoing thing that's a daily process. So what type of resources did we get? Do we have for maintaining and updating and using that library? So we've developed a smart pump maintenance team that is made up of representatives from every facility that uses our standard data set. So some of these representatives are pharmacists, some of them are nurses, and we really have a good mix. And we will pull in anybody else that we need ad hoc, depending on the discussions we're having. We also have some representation from the system level, from a safety perspective. And we use this team to review updates, approve updates. And then the people in this committee are also responsible for facilitating the education and communication back to their facilities. So we have, in addition to this group that is going to approve these items, we also have a standard feedback mechanism that we use across our system, which is a single email address that anyone can use. It's easily available to report concerns with the data set, questions, issues, and any recommendations for adjusting and modifying our existing data set. And that's worked out really well for us so far. Additionally, we have a really good collaboration with our system medication safety team. And that team has really taken responsibility for monitoring and following up on compliance with our dose error reduction systems and looking at utilization of that patient safety mechanism. And that team has really been active in promoting information about our dashboard, about our targets, and continuing to drive our compliance in the right direction. Yeah, I think that the dashboard is really important, especially at a system level, because we can give numbers by hospital and we can also find best practices, which hospitals are doing well and they can report back why and which ones are having struggles have other places to look. And I also wanted to reemphasize that feedback process, that email I think is is really important because we we can build a really good library, but the nurses have to use it. And they're both equally important. If we have a, an easy to use library that works for the nurses, then they will use it. So I, you need that kind of feedback. So I think that's key. So thanks. So moving on to the bolus from the bag feature, how do we utilize that at BJC? So we really encourage using the smart pump bolus feature for a variety of reasons. 
One is that with the smart pump bolus features, you can really put some safety guidelines in place that you can't do when you're drawing from a vial. And so in addition to the safety guidelines, it really is a lot easier often for nursing to administer a bolus using a bag that's already hanging rather than going to an automated dispensing cabinet, pulling a new vial, barcode scanning, and really covering that entire spectrum for something that the patient is already receiving. So we have different dosing limits for the rate limits and things for the bolus than we do for the regular infusions? Yeah. So the way that the bolus function works is that it is really identifies specific bolus dosing for a product. Okay. Let's get on to one of the others, which is ISMP is driving people to bidirectional functionality or interop. What are BJC's plans for that? So that is still a to be determined right now. That's still something that I'm dreaming about in the future, but we are working towards that just like many facilities are. Okay. Well, one of the other challenges is implementing this in the areas outside of inpatient, for example, outpatient settings. How have we done that and what have some of the challenges been? So we're fortunate in most of our settings to use the same infusion pumps in an outpatient setting. So we have designed our data set to cover those outpatient settings. So we're using the same library, the same profiles in our outpatient setting. And this has really set us up well for these situations where we start to see some of these new drugs used in an outpatient setting that previously weren't. Okay. And I will put a bow on this and talk about in general from this whole process that we've been going through at a system level and at your hospital, what are some of the lessons you learned that will help others on their journey? So I I think as with anything, we really have talked a lot about how buy-in from our frontline users is imperative, but this is really a collaborative effort between pharmacy, nursing, anesthesia, our prescribers, that there's really nobody's left out of this process to ensure that we really have all of the voices and all of the things in place to respond and continue to develop the content of this data set. And that we really need that it's really important to have the support and understanding of how important of a patient safety mechanism this really can be when used appropriately. Okay. I have no other questions. Thanks, Naomi, for your time. That's all the time we have for today. So I wanted to thank Naomi again for joining us to discuss the best practice number eight from ISMP on smart pump safety. Again, it's part of the ISMP best practice podcast series. So you can look for others from other best practices podcasts coming by the medication safety SAG. If you haven't before, I encourage you to check out the ASHP medication safety resources that are available on their website. You can find member exclusive offerings such as patient safety resource center, patient education resources through safemedication.com. Those are for patients and exchange ideas and ask questions with your peers on the ASHP medication safety connect community. Find that very useful, very active. And thanks again for tuning into this session of ASHP's podcast on med safety and be sure to subscribe to the future podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, 
rate or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.